Well, it is 2024. Have you written the wrong date on anything yet? In case you were wondering, or even if you weren't wondering, Kiribati is the first country to celebrate this new year. It's a group of islands in the central Pacific Ocean. So here we are, people having made resolutions to lose weight. Now, when I was going to the gym regular um, back a few years ago, you would see a lot of new people in January, and then you didn't see them anymore, or most of them anyways. Uh, maybe your resolution is to quit smoking or quit swearing or to eat healthy or to, to be a, a better worker or employee or whatever it might be. For some, it's time to start over on some things uh, in your work or your relationships or stewardship, serving, Bible study, prayer, whatever it may be. But it's nice to know that God accepts us as we are. And it's also nice to know that he wants us to change and become better. He doesn't want us to stay the way that he took us. So if you're a resolution person, go for it. Do your best at whatever it is that you have resolved to change or add to your life. But if you're trying to improve your relationship with the Lord, you need to make a commitment. Not try to do better, but trust God with the results. And he certainly will help you because he wants a better relationship with you as well. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for a new year, a new start uh, for many people in, in life as they look at things, look at themselves, and, and want to improve. But Lord, help us to know that uh, you do take us just as we are with all of our warts and all of our problems. So Lord, we just uh, give you thanks for your word that's a, a constant help for us as we try to live our lives for you and live the best life we can. So Lord, help us to look at what you have to say to us today in this message. Open our eyes, our ears, our minds, our hearts, and let you in. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, most people like new. A new car, new clothes, new house, new job, new friends, uh, new toys, you know, a new set of golf clubs, new boat, uh, a new snowmobile, if you're from where I came from, uh, or maybe a new relationship, new neighbors. Yeah, that would be nice sometimes. Or a new baby. Oh, wait a minute. We just got done celebrating a new baby. And you know what? That baby can help you with new things. Now, many of you know that I'm going to use this scripture so let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Most Christians are familiar with that. But what does that really mean? Okay, you may be familiar with it, but does it really have a, a real true meaning for you? So let's take a look at Galatians chapter 6. <clears throat> And Paul is trying to clear up the issue of circumcision. Okay, the Galatians were being told that they had to be circumcised in order to be Christians, which 
is not true. I like what Paul says in verse 11 of chapter 6. He says, See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. It's kind of like receiving a text from somebody. It's all in uppercase letters. You know, you think, ah, what did I do? You know, what's the problem? You know, so what Paul was trying to do was to get their attention. So in Galatians 6, beginning in verse 12, Paul tells us, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised, that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Now listen to verse 15. Cain says, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Okay, what counts is that you have given your life to Christ. Do you become a Christ follower? So let's flip back a few books to Romans chapter 6. And this is verses 3 and 4. Paul says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may too have a new life. Okay, you could say that baptism was replacing circumcision. Okay, I'm not saying that that's some big theological thing that I uh, believe, but, you know, think about it. So, without getting into the sprinkling versus immersion uh, debate in baptism, that's the symbolism of baptism. Okay, in immersion, you go into the water as the sinner, and you come out as being raised from the dead like Jesus. Now, one thing you need to be sure is that you don't confuse baptism and salvation. Now, some people feel that, okay, I've been baptized, I'm good to go. No, you're not, unless you've made a commitment to Jesus Christ. So Paul is letting them know that if you were circumcised, you were expected to follow the law. What Paul is referring to in verse uh, 12 is about the avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. It was the converted Jews who were wanting all to be circumcised. Then they would all be like them. In other words, they would all be guilty of Christ's crucifixion. So let's take a look at some of the new received through Christ. Who did Jesus call to be his disciples? Pharisees? Bible scholars? The teachers of the word? No, not at all. And those are people that you and I may have called, that you and I may have chosen to be the disciples, but not Jesus. He chose those 
who were willing to follow him. Fishermen, a tax collector, men that were willing to give up everything. You know, this wasn't a part-time job. You know, you can come with me and I'm going to go to this town and minister and then you can go back and then next week, you know, I'll pick you up and we'll go to this other town and minister. No, it was a full thing. Come, follow me. Meant you're signing on the dotted line to give your time, your life, until my life ends, is what Jesus was saying. So Peter is the only disciple that we know of that was married, so he had to leave his wife behind. In Matthew 8, Jesus tells them and us about new life that could be expected. <coughs> Excuse me. It says, then, Matthew 8, 19 to 22, then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, verse 22, that sounds kind of harsh, but it was very important at that time for the children to take care of their parents, you know, up to and, and burying them. But what Jesus is talking about here is about the spiritually dead burying the physically dead. So Jesus is saying in those verses, you know, if you're going to follow me, you know, it's not going to be an easy place. You know, we're not going to be staying in motels along the way. We, You know, we're not going to have elaborate meals fed to us every place we go. You know, you're going to be roughing it if you're going to be part of my crew and follow me. So next, let's take a look at Lazarus. Okay, in John 11, we read about him being sick until Jesus shows up. Now, Mary and Martha expected Jesus to come and heal the bro their brother. But Jesus wanted more. He wanted God to be glorified in an even bigger way. <coughs> and Jesus waited until he knew that Lazarus had died. Four days ago, he had died when Jesus got there. And Jesus went and he called him out of the tomb. He was alive again. He was as good as new. And how do we know this? Well, in John 12, 1, it says six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So, you know, that's a confirmation of the fact that Lazarus was now alive. He was dead, but now he was alive. Well, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we read about uh, Jairus's daughter. She was dead, and then she had new life because of Jesus. In those same books, we read about the widow's son in Nain. He was dead. Jesus touched him and raised him back to life. Now, these three were physical life that we're talking about. I can imagine that their spiritual life 
had to change as well. In at least five different places in the gospel, Jesus is healing the blind. In Matthew 9, there was two men healed. In verse 20, it says they went out and spread the news about Jesus all over that region. Okay, these men had new life. Okay, now they could see. Now they could uh, get a job. They could learn the scriptures, whatever it may be. But they had new life. They were new men. In Mark chapter 10, Bartimaeus, he was blind, but he was healed. In verse 52, Jesus said, go, your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. This man had received new life. Okay, Bartimaeus was a, a new man. Luke tells us two times of men that were healed from leprosy. New men, new life. They could go back to their family, back to their homes, back to, to work. They were able to enter into the temple. And so their lives were completely changed. It was now new life. Peter's mother-in-law, the woman that was healed from the bleeding, the centurion's servant, men and boys that were possessed with demons, the crippled woman, the paralyzed man, the man at the pool of Bethsaida, the mute, the deaf, and others with unknown needs. All of these people became new people because of Jesus. They now had a new life. All things were going to be new for them. Time after time, the Gospels tell us of not only those healed were amazed, but those that witnessed the healings. You know, when somebody was healed and they knew this person had been blind, and, you know, they, they knew him, he was probably a beggar, and they maybe given him money, but now they didn't need to anymore. And they were amazed at the fact this man now had his sight. So it's no different when a new believer comes to the Lord. People notice. Okay? They notice that that person is new. You know, October 2nd, 1977, I became a new person. I wasn't who I was before. People could see that I wasn't who I had been. Most people rejoiced. Some, not so much. Because it was like, you know, well, we'll see how long this lasts. And, you know, now he's going to think he's too good for us. You know, Mr. Goody Two-Shoes. But most importantly, the Lord knew that I was a new person. My wife knew. Her parents knew. And they could see the difference in me. Because we're not remodeled or restored or refurbished. We're made new. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks for your word. And Lord, I give you thanks for the, the promises of a new life. And Lord, I don't know anyone that doesn't need that new life. So Lord, help us as your children to spread that word. To let people know that they don't have to be living the way they're living. That they can be changed and become new people, new men, new women, new children, and have a new life. And Lord, I lift up those that don't know that. Father, help them to, to know the truth and to hear the truth 
from us, your children, that, Lord, they will know that, that there is a way, that they no longer have to be depressed or fearful or whatever it may be that they're dealing with in their lives. And so, Father, let them pray to you in this way. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for Jesus dying for my sins. Thank you that you raised him back to new life and you promised me new life. So Lord, help me learn to love others and to love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.